Okay, our text is Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9, as we talk about a 2,000-year-old memorial. It's our text, and here it is, Memorial Day, and uh, they had memorials from back in that day as well. And here's a memorial that one thing that can happen to it, it can't be torn down. And so it will last forever. And so that's a great thing about it. But uh, I'll be looking not only here in our text, but I'll be looking in the same story in the book of Matthew and the same story in the book of John just a little bit later. We'll finish out in 1 Peter. But as we look here to our text, we read here, Mark chapter 14, beginning with verse 3. And being in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, he sat at meat. There came a woman, having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste made of the ointment, of the ointment made? Why was this waste of the ointment made? I'll get that right. For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. <clears throat> and Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. You have the poor with you always. And whensoever ye will, you may do them good. <laughs> I kind of like that. They're acting self-righteous. Oh, that could have been given to the poor. Well, you know what? You could do something for the poor yourselves. Kind of changes the ball game there a little bit, doesn't it? He says, <clears throat> but me you have not always. She had done what she could. She is come beforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached through the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for memorial of her. Well, let's have a word of prayer. Father, I pray as we delve into your word today that you would just help us to see it clearly and understand. Lord, I pray that Holy Spirit would make just things open and clear to the hearts that I just can't reach, Lord, and uh, that you would give understanding and, and help, Lord. If there's one under the sound of my voice today, whether it's here in this auditorium or whether it's out uh, on the live stream or the radio, Lord, I pray that today would be the day they come to know Christ as Savior. And we'd ask this in the name above every name, the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Two great statements were made in history that we need to hear today. Now, they're not from the Bible. The greatest statements are in the Bible, by the way. But these two statements are things for us today. And one is made by a man that was born in Dublin, Ireland. His name was Edmund Burke. The other man's name 
is also Edmund, <clears throat> but his last name is Ross. Edmund Ross represented the state of Kansas after the American Civil War. Now the first one, Edmund Burke made this statement, all that is necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. You know, Christian, if we are not obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ and his word as Christians, when it comes to things about our witness, about holiness, about our faithfulness to God and his church and, and, and his word in every other way, and if we're not faithful in the fact of love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so we're not faithful to stay away from that. Then we can expect in this country to lose the churches by default as a team would lose a ball game by not showing up. And the church can be lost that way in this country. And as we look at these things, Edmund Burke said that uh, it was necessary, of course, for this to happen. But when we think about it, it's necessary for the triumph of evil that good men do nothing. When you think of Labor I'm of Memorial Day, you realize that men that gave their lives did something. Do you realize that everybody that takes that oath, and when they raise that hand and they're sworn in in the military, regardless of what branch they're in, they're going in not hoping they'll die. Some go in looking for something that'll help finance, go to college, some do other things. But they also know that they could pay the price in fighting for their country with their life. Some of you have relatives, friends. Many of us that grew up in my era have friends that died in Vietnam. Our fathers, I can remember my dad telling about people dying right beside him in a foxhole. And so we know of those things. We hear those things, and yet, given their life was worth it, because look, we're here today freely. You and I are here. These guys gave their life for something. I cannot picture any man back in 1776, back when they fought against England and the Revolutionary War, not back in the Civil War, World War I, World War II, or any other war, I can't think of a man fighting. Oh boy, if we win, I, my kids can be a part of the LGBTQ. Not one. I don't know how many of those are in the army. I mean, that's a new weapon hitting a guy, a guy hitting somebody with his purse. But uh, I think of that. People fought for something real, and yet we have a higher calling than even the military man. We are in an army, we're in the Lord's army, and we all have that call upon us. There was Edmund Ross. He said as President Andrew Johnson was under impeachment, 
the trial, if he votes yes, that would cause the president to be removed from office. As I said, Edmund Ross represented the state of Kansas. He knew that his vote was important. But he knew that that would not be right to vote yes. And so he voted no. And he made this statement. I looked down into my open grave and voted no. Do you think about that? That speaks of character. That speaks of integrity. When, when you stand up and say, I'm going to do the right thing regardless of the cause that would stand against it. I'm going to do right. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 2, as he's addressing his disciples, he's talking to them. And he says there that uh, the time will come that whosoever killeth you will think that he's doing God service. That would scare most of us saying, I'm not too sure I want to be a part of that service, that ministry. It could end up costing me my life. But you see, our Christian duty is one out of love for God. And it is utmost in the life of every Christian that his character stand on the word of God with no thought of what will this cost me? Will it cost me money? Will it cost me friends? Will it cost me family? Well, if we have that attitude, it'll cost you reward in eternity. You see, again, all that is necessary for the triumph of evil over the local church and over Christians and over the spread of the gospel in this country is that good men do nothing. Character, commitment, courageous faith. America needs that type of a man or woman that is godly, because that's what that is. Let us first see some uh, Bible people who were worthy of a memorial uh, from just what they did, from what they accomplished as Christians. In our heart and in our mind, we need to keep this true because in our text, we see a woman of faith and an alabaster box of ointment. We see these things in our text in verses 3 through 9. It correlates with the same story recorded in Matthew chapter 26, verses uh, 7 through 13. And listen as I read that text to you because it sounds just almost like a repeat because it is the same story. There came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. 
But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, to what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus uh, understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the uh, woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she hath done it for my burial. And verily, that means truly, I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this that this woman hath done be and told for a memorial of her. You know what? It's 2,000 years later and we're still talking about it, aren't we? You still hear sermons, not just here. You still hear sermons on what she did. We see she does a good work for Jesus. And guess what? It is the people who are Christians who find fault. I mean, these are the disciples. They're not just regular Christians. They're high up, you know. They're occupying a place with Christ. And so basically, they're questioning the integrity and the faith of this woman who's made this sacrifice for her Lord. And Jesus lets them know that she is doing this for his burial, which they seem not to understand. Jesus had told them before he would go to Jerusalem, they were going to crucify him, and three days later he's going to raise from the dead. They told him that, and they didn't understand that, and they even tried to rebuke him for saying it. This woman was smart enough, wise enough, just to believe Jesus' words on it. And if he's going to die for my sin, then I need to anoint him with something that's precious to me that will show my love for him because he is going to save me. And so she moves forward and goes through with it regardless of they uh, said that. She knows he's going to die for them. These others have a hard time believing it. Men say bad things. People will make false accusations against Christians and then spread it about but Christ demonstrates the godliness that we should have as Christians. He tells them, let her alone. Just let her alone. She's actually done a good work. You guys aren't smart enough. You're too dumb to understand that. They didn't say it that way. I put that in the Greek. Okay, now he, he didn't say it that way, but... He said it with that firmness. Let her alone. It'll be a memorial of her. It is great. It is very great when Jesus takes a stand 
on your side. And actually, it wasn't on her side, it was on his side, and she was standing with him. When somebody stands with Jesus, when they stand according to his word, they do according to his word, understand Jesus is with you all the way on that. He is with you. Now, when we think of that, she, she is here, she neither was spoken of as a great person in our minds uh, before this, but she did follow Jesus. That's pretty good. And when you think of all of this, she anointed him for his burial, and Jesus recognizes her for this. And not just as a memorial for her, don't you know that this will be stated in heaven? She doesn't get a whole lot of glory from the disciples for doing this. But just think of in heaven. The Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 12, if you turn many to righteousness, that says, that's not talking about how many got saved, but that's talking about witnessing to people. When we witness the gospel of Christ, we are turning them to righteousness, but we can't make them get saved. They've got to either accept it or reject it. But at least when you give the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he'll receive those, he'll save those that will come to him in repentance and faith. And you give that gospel, they don't get saved, but you'll shine as the stars forever. They that turn many to righteousness shall shine as the stars forever. Turn them to righteousness? Oh, yeah. You see, Christ is our righteousness. My acceptance into heaven will not be on my righteousness or anybody else's righteousness except Christ. And so ours is to turn them to Christ. Because the only way that we can be accepted in heaven is in the beloved. That is in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6. And so this happens. Now there's another passage. Uh, and that's in John chapter 12 verses 1 through 8. It's the same story. Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead from uh, whom he raised from the dead. Now, we remember the story of Lazarus, okay? Uh, he was raised from the dead after he'd been dead for four days. You would think that if he raised somebody who's been dead for four days, that when he says he's going to die and raise in three days, he can do it. Bethany is located two miles from Jerusalem. It's near the Passover time. This is when Jesus is coming to Jerusalem to die for our sins. He will die for our sins in Jerusalem. So there, they made him a supper, and Martha served. Okay, now Martha's there, she's serving. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Now, they're in the house of Simon the leper, but Lazarus also had a house in Bethany. They were just at that house. Raised from the dead? Yeah, they had him there. Two people wanted to see this guy that was raised from the dead. Then took the, uh, Mary a pound of ointment, of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, How'd you like to do that, ladies? 
and then and and uh, the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Now think about this. This passage identifies the lady to whom the memorial is being made. It's Mary. Remember. We, we remember Mary, <coughs> excuse me, we remember Mary because she was the one that sat at Jesus' feet while Martha was busy trying to prepare the food for after the church service. Sitting, and she said, Lord, get him, come over here. I want to be able to feed everybody as soon as church is over, <laughs> you know. And, and says, well, actually, Martha, Mary's chosen the right thing to do. There's time after church to go home and make supper, dinner, or whatever. You better do the right thing first. Just think about that. That goes on there at that time. And so, this is also uh, something that's going to happen. He's not been crucified yet, but in faith, she is acting in faith to do this thing. Now, she waited. This is what's interesting to me. When Jesus comes to Bethany, and he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, Jesus is there and raises him from the dead, but Mary doesn't go. Martha goes to him. Martha's the one that goes to him. However, Martha comes back and says, Jesus calls for you. Then she goes. See, she's waiting for Jesus to call before she does anything. She doesn't strike out on her own. She waits for the Lord to lead her. She waits for the Lord to call her. She waits for the Lord to tell her what to do, and then she does it. And so, this is her testimony. Then says one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Uh, this he said, not that because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the bag and bear what was there in. The idea of the word bear there is that he was taken from the till, you might say. He had his, he had his fingers in the till. He had his fingers in the pot. Okay. He was taken. And yeah, he saw an opportunity for more money to come in. That would mean more for him. He doesn't realize Jesus knows every bit of it. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my bearing, she hath uh, kept this, and this truth is repeated in all three accounts that she's done this for his bearing, and that it could be sold here for much or for 300 pence. And I've heard different things about that, about the 300 pence. I've heard somebody say that was a year's wages. I've heard someone else say, no, that was uh, half a year, some three months. I've heard different things. To be frank with you, I don't know. All I do know is it was expensive, and it could help the poor. I know that. I don't know what 
Lazarus thought. You poured that on him and he's still alive. I was dead and you didn't do a thing for me. But I think Lazarus is happy to be alive, to be honest with you. He knows what Jesus did for him. And so she has uh, waited. And she's kept that for the burying. How much ever it's worth. She gave something that was important to her. Now perhaps she had bought that. Gave a lot of money for it with the hopes that would be used in her burying. That's probably why she had it laid up. But for some reason, instead, she gives her best to Jesus. Boy, does that teach us something? That's what you call a lady of faith. How important is this story that it is recorded Three different times. Three different books of the Bible. It is the story of faith of this woman that each of us can learn from. Now there's two more people I want to quickly recognize that are mentioned in the Bible. David and Esther. Esther. She is a Hazarus queen. He's the king. Ahasuerus, he's the king. And then there's a first man next to him. You know, he's the helper. He's the guy that's right next to the king. And that guy that's next to the king, Haman, hates the Jews. And he sets up a document. He tells the king, you know what? There's a people out there that want to remove you from the king. And, and they're rebelling, going to rebel against you. I'd like to... <clears throat> write up something, and have a day in which we kill every Jew alive. What Haman doesn't know, and what Ahasuerus, her husband, doesn't know, is that Ruth is also a Jew. And so they start doing this. They start, uh, they get out, they go, it goes throughout all the kingdom there, and that, everybody's excited. You know, they make a lot of money that day. They're going to give money for each one that we kill. Mordecai comes to his, well, really, it's kind of like a, uh, his adopted daughter, Esther wasn't his real daughter, but it's his brother's daughter. His brother and his wife died. So he takes her, and he calls her and says, uh, you need to go into the king and stop this. And she says, if I go into the king, and he doesn't put out that scepter for me, he can kill me right on the spot. And that was true. She'd have to, he'd have to put out the scepter and her touch it. She goes into the king, but before she does that, she tells Mordecai, get all the people to pray for three days. Pray and fast. Three days. And if I perish, I perish. She knew that she could be killed. They got rid of Vashti before her. She could have been killed. And God rewarded it. David fights a giant. The armies of, of Saul are shaking in their boots, or in, I guess in their sandals. They're shaking in whatever they got on, okay, but they're scared. This big old giant comes out. He's a warrior. And he challenges them, send one of you guys out here and be him and me, and we'll see who can win this fight. If I win, 
We'll be subject to you. If you win, you'll, we'll be subject to you. Okay, we'll, we'll just do it that way. You to us, we to you. Depends on which one wins. Okay. Nobody in Israel will do it. David just happens to be there. Dad's in there to bring some stuff for his brothers who are in the army. He hears a story. He says, well, who is this Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who is he? His brothers say, David, and there comes the criticism, there comes the accusations. You just come to see what was going on, and, and you just need to go back and those few sheep that you had back there in the wilderness. We don't see it, but I could imagine David thinking, Lord, do I turn around and tell them, well, I don't see you out there trying to fight the guy. He goes in to see the king. King wants to put all this stuff. Says, Man, you're just a kid. Well, that's all right, Lord. I'm, I killed a bear and I killed a lion with my bare hands. I believe I can kill this guy through the Lord. God did it all. God does it all. We can do this, do it this guy, and he does. Gets, gets a stone and hits him in the head with it, and then takes glass own sword and cuts his head off. Now, we look at something like that. These guys put total faith in the Lord to accomplish his will. And they did. They did it. Now, let me close out with this quick passage here in 1 Peter. Chapter 4, verses 12 through 14, and then chapter 2 after that. But First Peter 4, he says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. When I think of these people in our American history that stood, and I think of these, this woman Esther, who stood, and David, a boy, a teenager, stood. And do you have a faith, or do you want a faith, in a service only as long as there's no cost involved? Or does the salvation of your soul mean everything to you? Does the love of God in dying for you mean anything to us? You see, if we want our service to be built on flowery beds of ease, then you can't be a good servant of the Lord. God decide, am I willing to stand? Am I willing to pay the price for my Lord? Well, he goes on to say, uh, <clears throat> uh, the fiery trial which is tried, some strange thing happening to you. Uh, they would end up killing these apostles, about every one of them. He says, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad with exceeding joy. The memorial for us is the eternal reward in heaven. It's not recognition from man, that is fleeing. But the recognition from God that's eternal that does not ever pass away. And you know, in laying up treasure that an enemy cannot tear down, it has to be laid up in heaven. And the only one that will keep you from that treasure is yourself as a Christian. 
You refuse to be faithful. You refuse to witness. You refuse to be in the Word of God. You refuse to be obedient to it. The old terminology, he or she is, are their own worst enemy because it will rob you of eternal reward. That's why you count the loss, what God had planned to use you for, and you didn't do it. You didn't even seek him to do it. And you count the loss. But let's close with 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25. For even here in two were ye called, this is a calling for every person on the face of this earth. Because Christ also suffered for us who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he had reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. Instead, he said, forgive them, Lord. They know not what they do. But he commended unto him, who that, uh, him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should uh, live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed for you were sheep going astray and now are returned. Now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your soul. Christ and his humanity demonstrated to us how to live a Christian life, regardless of the cost. Everything kept looking heavenward. Eternity was set in his heart. And he came to die for our sins and raise from the dead and give us everlasting life to pay the penalty. He paid the price. Now, paying the price is not enough you won't receive it. I mean, I can say, hey, come in, and bring in your, I'm not going to say this for real, okay? I can say, hey, bring in whatever the rest of your uh, payments are on your home, and I'll give you the rest of the money and pay the house off today. Wow, that's great. If I get around to it, I'll do that. No. <laughs> You're going to be right there before I change my mind. Lord said, if you come to him, he would in no wise cast you out. That's his promise. You don't get good enough for the Lord, you never will get good enough for him. That's why he died for your sin, my sin, all sin for all men for all time. He paid the penalty in full. He died for us. He shed his blood. By his stripes we are healed. We don't make ourselves good. He heals us through his shed blood and his death, his burial, and his resurrection. He does that, but you must come to him in repentance and faith. Instead of it being all about me, it's all for Jesus. It's all for Jesus. Is that your heart? Oh, he'll save you if you're not saved today, but you must come to him. Well, that might embarrass me. Wait a minute. Do you think hanging naked on a cross is not embarrassing? And here you are in a group of Christians who want you to be saved, and you're not saved, and that would be embarrassing to you? And you would expect Christ to save you, even though you won't go forward, though you won't sit down here and pray and receive him? 
Don't expect it. Now's the time. Now's the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. You better take advantage of it while it is there. As a Christian, what cost are you willing to pay to stand up for Jesus in your country? Because that's the hope of our country. Let's bow our heads, please.